Podcast. Chris is with us. Hello. We have a pack show for you today. First off, we're, uh, Chris and I are going to talk about Akira Kurosawa's scandal, and then uh, Bamboo will be joining us for uh, talking about Crazy Rich Asians, the book from Kevin Kwan, uh, an upcoming movie from Africa Asian. And then uh, Chris will be rejoining us. We will be talking with Pax, Vinny, and David Makers about Netflix series Glow about women's wrestling or just ladies of wrestling. But first, we are here for the continuing Akira Kurosawa series Scandal. Uh, Chris, talk to me about this. Why? Why is this on the? Uh, why is this in the post-war series instead of Akira Kurosawa's next chronological film? Oh boy. So yeah, we're skipping quite a bit um, here. We're m- missing Drunken Angel, The Quiet Duel, and Stray Dog. Um, my best guess is for the reason why this film is included in the post-war box set is because the, the materials don't look like they were in the best shape, uh, but they weren't bad. And this is also – it seems like this film gets kind of lost in the Kurosawa shuffle. It doesn't stand out um, amongst the pack of his more, more well-known films, um, and nor does it really – pronounce itself as one of his early masterpieces so we'll get back to drunken angel and stray dog later but let's go ahead and keep going with this box set which is going to get even more ridiculous in its placement in his chronology as we go on uh yes based on these liner notes um it seems that drunken angel and stray dog are a big out of his theme of how the war has ravaged Japan, maybe. But they they still they still deal with post war reconstruction. Um, you know, Drunken Angel is more of a crime film, so it's dealing with how Japan entered a period after the war where crime started becoming a big deal, just like in America with Al Capone and all that other stuff. So. There, there's there's following themes there. Stray Dog is basically a noir film, which was an American genre that was created specifically to deal with how Americans are deal, are coping with this post-war world that we're now living in. So they do still deal um, with post-war themes. And Scandal, Scandal is less directly post-war um, – as one wonderful Sunday and no regrets for a youth. And it, it fits more in line with those films. Um, scandal. The, the basic premise is an artist, um, Ichiro Aoi meets a famous singer. Her name is <laughs> Miyaku Saijo. And they get a picture taken um, unsolicited and a, a, piece of junk tabloid in Tokyo runs this whole period, um, this whole piece about how this famous singer Miyaku Saijo, Saijo is having an illicit affair. And it's just, it's, With it's junk artists. basically. Yeah. It's just junk. It's, it's tabloid smear campaign. In the, and, in the scene, the writer of it says, I make up all this stuff because you told me to make up all this stuff. 
Yeah. The, the, publish, the publication, they know it's junk. Yep. And so the interesting thing, so this film is really about Kurosawa kind of attacking that tabloid structure. Mm-hmm. So um, as, as noted in the liner notes, in the post-war Japan, everything was becoming more and more westernized, but there was a lot more heavy, heavy American influence. And what is the one thing that Americans have done better than everybody else? Obsess over fucking celebrity. Um, <laughs> so that was something that was really creeping into post-war Japan. And with the obsession of celebrity, you get the tabloids and you get the paparazzi and the invasion of privacy. Um, And that's really what this film is tackling. So it's not it's not more about the state of Japan in post-war. It's one of the various uh, elements that crept up in Japan post-war. So I I think it is kind of odd that this one did get lumped into the box set, but you, I guess you can't have a box set with just two films. Yeah. There, there are two other films after this. We'll see how they, uh, how they mix in with, um, no regrets for our youth and one wonderful Sunday. But this one seems, yeah, to less, less directly, um, talk about the effects of the war and more about, uh, how, <laughs> How Kurosawa is now stardom and presumably Toshiro Mifune and Takashi Shimura's stardom is affecting them. Yeah, I, I had read somewhere online that this is uh, based off of true events to Kurosawa, but it didn't happen to him. Um, it was a female actress that he does not name in his autobiography. Um, from what I had read, that he he talks about the. Uh, the inspiration for this film being a, a well-known actress getting a very similar smear campaign uh, posted against her, and he was just pissy about it. Maybe he was Six Kohara. Possibly. She is uh, famously camera shy, so could go along with this. Well, it, that actually makes sense because the, the lead actress, when we first meet her in the small mountain village, she is very camera shy. She tells the inn and everything, no, I absolutely refuse to have any photos taken of me. Mm-hmm. So that would fit. Yeah. Um, but what is this, what is this movie about? They have, they have this, uh, photo taken of them. They have the smear campaign and then they want to sue the company for reparations for this, these damages they've done to their reputations. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly that's exactly what it is and it's less about one thing that i like is it's less about them trying to get money for the libel that was post uh, posted against them and more of you know no we need to have the truth be known because this is a lie yeah and it, the uh toshiro mifune's character is very much more noble about the whole pursuit of the lawsuit mm-hmm. Than, than we would expect. Uh, I'm not familiar with Japanese libel laws, if they have any. I presume they have some, since they, they're able to take this suit forward. No, I forgot what I was going to say. Now that I said that other thing. <laughs> um, but one thing that's interesting is the film does take a turn um, about halfway through, and it becomes less about Mifune and uh, Yamaguchi's characters than it does about the the lawyer that Mifune hires. Shimura, so the lead in uh, Ikiro. Yes, 
and Seven Samurai, and he's been in every single Kurosawa film that we've he's in. He's been in every single Kurosawa film that we've talked about so far, um, with the exception of One Wonderful Sunday, I think. Yeah. Uh, but this 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 has him in the first more lead role that we've seen. Mm-hmm. He may have a bigger role in one of the three films that we've skipped <laughs> because of this box set. Uh, but his character, um, Hiruta, is kind of a vile person, but he's a good person. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's, he's portrayed as having a, a hunch, and he's very meek and very, not, not even timid, but he's actively scared of existing in the world. Yeah. His, his situation uh, has forced his hand to do things that he normally wouldn't do which doesn't forgive it, and he realizes this. Um, his daughter has tuberculosis, and he really needs money, and he's not uh, hes not well off with his own law firm to be able to provide the care that she needs. <sighs> but uh, everything from his point of view is done for her. Yeah. He's, made, he's built his very poor career. You know, it's not a very good career, but he's, he's built it off of deceiving and and cheating others and he gives a a a kind of a monologue where he's just crying because he's drunk talking to his daughter Mm -hmm. um about how the whole world in this post-war japan like everybody is now you know high on capitalism so they're cheating everybody deceiving everybody screwing everybody over and making themselves better mm-hmm. that he he felt the only way for him to try to make his way in the world was to mimic them which like like today if you want to be the owner and head of some big corporation you have to be an asshole um so this is his character is just falling into that and saying, this is what I have to do, but he's not built for it. I think that's one of the things that helps illustrate how corrupt the general idea is, is you have this man who is very small um, and he's being forced to do things that he does not agree with just because that's quote unquote, the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that drives it home a lot better than if if he was portrayed as like Saul from Breaking Bad yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I'd like to see, uh, you know, a short movie, uh, 30 minutes or so of what brought um, what brought Hirata to this point in his life where he feels like he has to do these underhanded things to just make money and live. Yeah. And it, it, it really does feel like it's more than just his daughter getting tuberculosis. Because mm-hmm. yeah, um, you guys mentioned um, he used to be this good guy. He used to stand up for the rights of every man. And now he is, um, you know, forced to do these things because this is the way of the world. This is how he gets paid. Yeah. And, you know, he wouldn't volunteer himself to uh, be legal counsel for... For uh, Aoi and Saigo, if um, he didn't have that kind of pride in him. Yeah. Well, and he he goes into it with noble intentions. Yeah. It's just almost immediately after he's approached by the publisher, and they're like, "I'm going to give you some money, son. Yeah. You know, s- sabotage this lawsuit." <clears throat> he's a he's a really funny guy, though. In the in the first scene we see with him, he 
walks into uh, Alway's house and says, you know, I hear, I hear you're doing this uh, lawsuit against the publisher. I'd like to, I'd like to represent you. But all the while, he has taken his <laughs> shoes and his sock off because he's stepped in sewage and he's flinging around his sock. It's a really good character, and um, Shimura's performance is really good. He nails yeah. the the comedy and the uh, patheticness yeah. very, very well. And there is a scene, uh, I guess it doesn't harken back to Ikiru since it's not out yet, but uh, it reminds <laughs> me of that scene from Ikiru when he's dejected and sitting in that one place. Uh, at the bar with the dude that he met, and he's just singing that song very somberly. But this this scene, he's uh, drunkenly singing, uh, relatively jovially, but the the mood is relatively the same. Um, he's just trying to forget the the pains of his life with this with this song. Are you talking about the the Christmas scene? Yep. Yeah, they they're singing the our old acquaintance be forgot the, mm-hmm. the new year's song, but in Japanese, but you can, you can tell the tune. Yeah. It's very recognizable. Obviously. Yeah. That was such a good scene. Yeah. Like the whole, the whole, everything about Christmas was very touching mm-hmm. um, for, for all, all the characters, but especially uh, Shimura's character and Mifune, his character is there and it, it helps with him as well. But yeah, no, I was I was touched. Yeah. But then, but then Shimura's character uh, Hiruta, like almost immediately after, is where the trial begins, and you're like, ah, dude, did you not learn anything over Christmas break? No, no, he did not. <laughs> uh, he's wearing that gaudy uh, traditional lawyer uniform, I guess, for Japan, which is another funny moment. Like he hasn't been in this courtroom for so long that he doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it looks. Uh, Let's just skip to the the final trial scene. Uh, there's not much in between there that we haven't spoken to yet, has there? Uh, not not particularly. Um, not, not not nothing that's worth going into detail. Uh, we just spend the next half hour in the courtroom, mm-hmm. basically. Uh, this is uh, the time the times that Chris is talking about when he's corrupted by not corrupted, but you know. Uh, Deftly convinced by uh, the other legal counsel, not the other legal counsel, the uh, the defendant to uh, just let me win this case, you know, giving him money and stuff. But um, in a in another one of those emotionally heavy scenes, he comes back into Aoi's house and says, "My daughter has just passed away from tuberculosis," and the last thing she said is. You're going to win this scene. You and Aoi are going to win this scene, or win this case. So from there, we basically go to that final courtroom scene, um, where uh, Aoi stands up, gives his passioned, um, passion defense for himself, saying this: these are all lies. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? What can I tell you guys? Why am I de- trying to prove my innocence here? Yeah. Like what? <laughs> you know, in his heart of hearts, he wants to say we have to prove that the written word of these liars are a lie compared to the story that we're telling us. We're telling like, can we just write something and say this is the truth, and then now we'll be believed? <laughs> um, 
but he he resigns himself to saying basically I don't think we'll win, uh, but I hope that you'll believe us over them. Uh, which is the point that Kimura's character Hirata stands up and says I I would like to present myself to the stands and um, give evidence that is relevant to this case. And he he says uh, I have received this check from the defendant saying he will drop this case and uh, he admits to being this terrible man but wants to do this one last thing not last thing but you know his daughter's last wish he wants to fulfill that he comes clean it was interesting that i don't know if he would have come clean if it wasn't set up like such a softball mm-hmm. um so the 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 defendant's attorney he's all sitting there you know yep they we've been able to show that you know for all intents and purposes they were having an affair and they can't prove it otherwise but then he's he's lets it slip out like this, this might just be a simple piece of clever screenwriting to give a an in but he says and my client fully believes that they were having an affair so if it's belief versus belief you know it's anyone's guess and that's mm-hmm. that's what he were to drag um grabs onto is like no he actually doesn't believe this yeah. and i can prove that yeah it's like that scene in every every lawyer drama where they s- slip up or say say something a little wrong and then it's like wait did you just say this yeah i got it but that was a very good speech from from shimura um just finally letting letting everything out because he he never wanted to say that he's a terrible person to his daughter right um but now he's finally saying it i i'm not a good man i've done all of these misgivings to several people but i want to make things right for once in my life and he does yeah and scene (laughs) yeah uh so what do you think of this movie overall I think it's really, really good. So this this is not Kurosawa's first time working with Mifune. Um, it's his third time or fourth time. <laughs> He's basically in all the movies that we've missed. Yeah, uh, Mifune um, <clears throat> was discovered by Kurosawa, wasn't he? No, he did one movie before Kurosawa got his, uh, got right, a hold of him. Right, but but he, Kurosawa he basically exploded him. Yeah, he he made his reputation on Kurosawa. Absolutely. Um, and here he's just fantastic, absolutely fantastic. You can't like, if you watch this movie and you don't see how big of a star Mifune really was. I, I can't help you. Um, <laughs> Yamaguchi, uh, the lady who plays Miyako, she is also really terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Shimura does just walk away with the movie, and so you have this movie that's it's filled with great performances. It's got a good core to it. It plays out really well, but it do, it still feels to me like it's trapped in that Frank Capra style Hollywood. This is, you know, got the big empowered speeches in the courtroom, like Mr. Mm-hmm. Smith goes to Washington. Is that the right uh, one? It, yes. It, in the last time, I, I combined two movies. Mr. Deeds goes to town. And Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Um, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. That's the one with Jimmy Stewart. That's the big courtroom uprising film. Um, but but you you get this film really feels like a good mix between that old Hollywood influence and Kurosawa himself. Mm-hmm. So I almost wonder if the Drunken Angel and Stray Dog 
are really like these are more Kurosawa's films, whereas this one it kind of saw him regress into his his style of filmmaking with the old Hollywood influences, and that's why this kind of gets mixed, lost in the shuffle. It's it's dropped on a box set that yeah. got released. It it's it doesn't have its own Criterion release. So people don't talk about it as a, its own independent film, much like all the other movies. No, this is not this big classic like Rashomon or Seven Samurai. But this feels a little bit more solid to me than the previous films that we've watched. Really? Like, like if this was if this was still all chronological, I would say that we're closer to what Kurosawa becomes most known for you know, that we're still inching towards it, but that doesn't quite fit because he had what are considered bigger movies beforehand. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this is still before, this is the film he made right before Rashomon. So that's where he really hits his big stride, but we still have two more movies in this box set that come out after that. So I don't know. Does it deserve to be lost in the shuffle in uh, some low rent box set? I don't think any of these I, movies deserve that. No, absolutely not. And this this kind of fits that same mold. I'm not I'm not in love with it, but I really really liked what it was doing, and I loved the performances therein. Yeah, yeah, especially especially Shimura. Absolutely. What are your final thoughts? Uh, you know, your review. I really like this movie. Um, I think this is. I've been like pretty terrible at recognizing who's in movies by now, but I think this is the movie where I'm finally like, oh, that's, that's McFinney, that's Shimura, that's... Actually, I recognize zero other people, but... Uh, <laughs> this is the movie where I finally, like, uh, here is Kurosawa's star system. Yeah, we're playing with the big dogs now. Yeah, I can't wait for the next one. I've never read or seen any adaptation of a Dostoevsky novel so this will next time that'll be the first one what else is there oh i can never keep dostoevsky and the other big uh russian author separated in my mind notes from underground crime punishment the idiot demons brother the brothers karamazov yeah there you go so yeah crime and punishment has had a bunch of adaptations and the brothers Karamazov have also had a has also had a quite a few adaptations over the years. I think the idiot has too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is this is a, a big time Russian author, but I've never I've never had any experience with his work, so I don't know how I'll be able to judge it through Kurosawa's lens. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have either, but you know, we'll we'll try our best. It'll be good. Yep. All right. Well, let's take a break. Uh, after the break, I'll be back with Bamboo. Chris, thank you for now. We'll see you in the third act. Have fun. I left my heart on the top of a windowsill Fell apart when the winds pulled it down On the ground where the sun drove the colors deep In the summer heat, the colors seemed to drown in the summer heat, the colors seem to drown. We're back. Bamboo is with me. Hi. 
We're going to talk about Crazy Rich Asians, the book by uh, Kevin Kwan. Yes, the trilogy, actually, the soon-to-be Hollywood spectacular. Starring Catherine uh, Wu and several other people who I forget right now. Super excited for it. I am, too. Uh, but you're you're the one that got uh, basically everyone I know into Crazy Rich Asians. How did you, yeah. How did you come across this book? Um, actually, it was originally completely by accident. I was at the airport browsing books, and then I saw the title, Crazy Rich Asians, and I couldn't not look. At the time, I didn't buy it because I didn't want to be the person on the on the plane reading a book called Crazy Rich Asians. I'm like, oh, that's a little on the nose. Like, I'm the Asian reading this book. So it felt kind of weird. But then later, um, I was like, well, I'm in the privacy of my own home. I'm going to check it out. Immediately hooked. I didn't know what to expect. I also – I didn't um, – obviously, I figured out when I bought it that it was, like, written by a man. But when I just saw, like – the back of the the book descriptor i didn't think it was like written by by a guy kevin kwan um because it seemed like the type of sort of gossipy like you know type of stuff that you would you would see written by like a you know modern woman writer type but um funny story though so the first day i got the book i started reading it and um I was actually looking at reviews online of the book, um, sort of just to like, just to, just to see what I was getting myself into. And one of the first comments I read was, uh, someone saying online that they, they thought that you had to be Asian in order to appreciate the book. What? Because the person said that they couldn't keep the character straight. Now, I realize there are a lot of characters. Both you and I currently have the uh, Crazy Rich Asians family tree up on our computers because there's like a lot of characters, but they have Anglo names. Yeah, a lot like of them they, do. And if they, they don't, pretty like, much uh, some of them are like using English Englishy names, even if they don't have that name, just to make it easier for the people that did not really grow up in China. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, and. I found it absurd that the idea that because you're not Asian, somehow you wouldn't be able to parse the names. Like, how hard is it to figure out, like, Edison and Charles <laughs> and Gemma. Like, these are not Gemma. Gemma's the ones playing. Sorry. Uh, getting ahead of ourselves. I know. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, but I just think of her as Gemma now. Um the lovely Astrid, who was being played in the movie by Gemma Chan, who is like the most gorgeous woman in existence. So I just think of her as Gemma now. But well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, Astrid is supposed to be this gorgeous woman in the book. Might as well be a gorgeous woman in real life. Exactly. Which is so happy for that. Exactly. So yeah. Um, well, I'm sort of curious then. Uh, what sold you on the book? Why did you start reading it? Uh, well, you you sold your heart on me. So I'm like, all right, I gotta read this. <laughs> and then uh, Dana read it before me, and she's like, you have to read this. And I saw some <laughs> of our friends on Twitter talking about it, and they really liked the book. And then I finally went to Half Price Books and saw it there, and I'm like, hey, do you want this? And Dana's <laughs> like, well, yes, of course. So I bought it, and then I read it over the course of several months because I'm a terribly slow reader. Yeah, I was also hooked by that first chapter, and yes. if, if you haven't read the book, this first, they have like a pro prologue chapter where uh, 
all the main characters are kids. So I think Eggie is the oldest one. He's like eight or ten or something. And uh, the this, this snooty white dude who's being a little racist towards all the Asians that are that are rich says, "Well, you can't come into this hotel because you're all covered in water and you look disgusting because you're Asian and stuff." Uh, so the woman's husband just buys the fucking hotel. <laughs> that was so He's like, great. please let me into the mer- into my room now. Also, oh you're fired. It, I was hooked after that first chapter because, okay, should we backtrack and, like, say what the book is about? <laughs> uh, probably. Probably. All right. So for anyone who hasn't read this book yet, or this, this trilogy, rather, um, it's, uh, so it's about basically the two sort of primary main characters, Nick um, Nick and Rachel, they're two, uh, Rachel is a Asian American born in California. Um, she's a professor at NYU where she met her, uh, her not yet husband, her, uh, her boyfriend, Nick, who is like Singaporean, um, but currently also teaching at NYU. But he was and raised in England, so he has this English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been yeah. several times in the book. And I think, um... I could be wrong, but I, I feel like um, a lot of Singaporeans also might have sort of like a slightly English-tinted accent, right? I mean, just – I don't yeah. know. I guess I don't know about Singapore. I know in Hong Kong they do for sure just because it was a British colony for so long. Yeah, I, um, I'm not really sure. I don't know yeah. many other Asians besides. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Nick is going back to Singapore to go uh, be the best man in his best friend's wedding and decides to take Rachel back, and she is completely unprepared for the fact that his family is crazy rich. Uh, and is, like, is absolutely fucking loaded. Also Nick's fault, because he did not tell her any of this information, which she could have said <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Right. <laughs> like, by the um, way, my family has billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And his family is, like, super snooty, and it's sort of just like a... I guess just... Uh, I, I wouldn't even... I guess it's like a comedy. Like, I wouldn't even call it, like, a romantic comedy. It's just like a sort of comedy slash dramedy at times. It's it's like it's like modern-day Downton Abbey with Asians, <laughs> minus the downstairs. So it's just upstairs. There's a downstairs in Downton Abbey? Yeah, it's the servants. Those I are the, they're the downstairs. I haven't seen Downton Abbey, so I, I have no idea. Um, Julian Fellows... The uh, the creator of Downton Abbey, he actually also has written several um, books sort of along this line, sort of the like gossipy rich people, you know, books um, that I think partially inspired Kevin Kwan, because at one point, one of the characters is recommending to Kitty to like read a bunch of socialite books. And on that list is books by Julian Fellows. Hmm. So that's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. Kitty, what a character. Oh my god, what a character. Everyone is kind of a character in this book. Everyone's kind of a character. Besides Nick and Rachel. Nick and Rachel are like the most normal-ish people. Yeah. Kind of everybody. Um, so, I guess like beyond beyond the first chapter then, because um, I already sort of know my answer for this, like what is it, I guess, about the books for you that that, that gripped you beyond... I guess sort of beyond this, like, salacious tale of, of wealth. Uh, you know, it is kind of one of those things where you can't look away from this train wreck of family. <laughs> um, right. But it didn't, 
like the the book hooked me and I knew I would want to read it from that first chapter, the prologue chapter, but it, I didn't like really get rolling on reading it until I got done with the first part of the book, which uh, I believe the first part ends around the time of uh, oh, right when Rachel shows up at um, Nick's grandma's house for the first time. Oh yeah, you yes. Uh, P.A. Glenn. Yes. Okay. Oh my gosh. And at that point, when she finally, she finally sees the uh, the world that she has stepped herself into, and this is after you see P.A. Glenn's place, which is also ridiculous, but not as ridiculous. And even when you're reading that, you're like, it can't get more ridiculous than this, but it literally does. Oh my god. Yeah, like this is a world in which. People have like koi ponds in their planes and like spas on their planes and basically like throw around my annual salary in like a two hour shopping spree. Yeah. It is kind of absurd. Um, and completely enviable, which is, which is kind of also another thing. Like what I loved about this book series. I mean, it's a total. It's a total beach read. Like, it's super trashy, but it's, like, it's really fun trashy. But I guess what I kind of liked about it, like, I've always loved these sort of, sort of, like, rich bitch escapist fantasies, right? Like, Downton Abbey and, like, all these types of these stories where, where like, you, you can sort of fantasize that you're living in this, this, this like, opulent lifestyle that's just this gross displays of, of wealth. But this time they're Asian. And... Like, literally for the first time in my life, I was reading this, this, like, story about just, like, just obscene displays of wealth and being actually able to see myself in it, you know, to actually be able to, to imagine myself in, in, in this world, you know, to, like, actually, actually escape into this world where I wouldn't be a servant, yeah. you know, and it's, it's, Especially because, like, so much of this takes, I mean, I mean, like, all of this, like, takes place um, in, like, modern day, right? So you have, so the second book is called uh, China Rich um, Girlfriend, and it's just, a lot of the book now introduces this, this, um, this new generation of, like, new rich Chinese people, the, um, uh, Fuer die, um, and they're sort of the like second generation like spoiled rich kids whose parents were like basically entrepreneurs who were like sh- like real estate tycoons and like beverage tycoons and and shipping magnates like and all this stuff and like yeah like Paglin's family and like they're all they're all like grossly rich but but it's all it's all modern like right right now like as we speak right now there are just uh, legions of 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 modern day Asian families who are swimming in wealth at a like disgusting rate. And it's, it makes me happy to know that there is a place in this world where like people who look like me are king shit on shit mountain. And even, even they are not above like looking down on, on other Asians, especially because Asian is like this huge, huge swath of people that, we just throw into Asian, but they're like yeah. oh, mainland Chinese. Why would we ever want to associate with those people and all this new money? Why would? Yeah, I think like at some point, like one of the characters, like I think there's like a hierarchy, right? Yeah. Where obviously, like the best would be the old money Singaporeans, that many and then know 
Yeah, and then like the old money people from Hong Kong, and then the old money people from, or like the people from Singapore and Hong Kong who are now living overseas, and then it might be like the old money people from, you know, and, and just all the way down, and then like eventually like there's like a sort of begrudging uh, tolerance of like the the mainland Chinese new money, even though they think they're totally gross and like gauche, and then like everything below that like poor people right yeah. <laughs> um it's like once you're making less than a few hundred million you're just poor yes oh my god i wish i had that problem <laughs> that, that was one of the things where it's like we well we always had so much money so we never really thought about money it's like shut the fuck up dude yeah there's this line where um this asshole eddie he is like the villain in Anytime Eddie showed up, I would text him. I'd be like, "What the fuck is Eddie doing?" Now? Eddie's the worst, but like at some point, like he's like complaining because he thinks his like his thinks his family has like horribly mistreated him because he only has like X number of hundreds of millions of dollars instead of like more you know billions or whatever, and he's he's upset because his family doesn't have a private jet and all this stuff, and it's like, ugh, like I just want to throw him out of a skyscraper. He's <laughs> awful. Money cannot buy class. We know that very well. Eddie is an example of that. It's always terrible with gigs, so like we coordinate all of our all of our clothes together. No playing, no playing Lady Gaga on the piano. Just play the classics. <laughs> <laughs> I oh my god! But at the same time, like I kind of love the villains. Like I got to the point where I actually like I really loved Kitty Pong. Um, she's this sort of like porn star slash soap star a soap star that may or may not have been in porn right i feel like that mm-hmm. was one of the things that she may or may not have been in porn yeah, i was hinted at several times but she's right like, oh no that's just my sister who looks a lot like me <laughs> i don't know this person and like i'm definitely not from some poor village in mainland china ew <laughs> <laughs> uh um but she's like trying to like move up into the proper society and it's 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 great I'm and trash. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <sighs> God. So no, uh, who's fun. your who's your favorite character in this book? Do you have a favorite character? Astrid. Astrid. Astrid, who uh uh I I'm so excited for the movie. Um no Astrid is actually perfect because like she I like to think that if I was extraordinarily wealthy I would be someone like Astrid, where all of my money, obviously, I'd be very classy. Um, I wouldn't be like Eddie. Like, I would be, you know, classy, and uh, I would spend my money on, like, philanthropy, and I wouldn't be showy about it. I wouldn't be, like, a braggart about it, Um, and I would have exceptional style. Like, Astrid is amazing. There's this great exchange in, I want to say, like, the second book or something. She, um, there's this, like, rich bitch mainland Chinese uh, socialite who is sort of like salivating over an outfit that Astrid is wearing and she spends the whole night like oh my god like what is it is it like Ralph Lauren like vintage like is it like part of like an unreleased resort wear like what is it and finally she asks Astrid like where did you get your dress and Astrid's just like like oh I got it at Zara and the socialite is completely humiliated and Astrid's like whatever like I just wear what I think looks good um, and she's kind of my hero, and if I could be anyone in the world, it would be Astrid. 
Asperger has but, a great sense of style. I mean, I can't see it. Uh, I, right. I have to visualize it because it's a book. <laughs> but uh, once once I see this on screen, I hope he's as fabulous as I imagine it. God. Who's your favorite? Uh, I mean, I was going to go, I don't want to copy you, but I could also go for Asperger as the favorite character. She's the best. I mean, she's the best. <laughs> I really, uh, this, was, this kind of surprised me, but I really started to hate the mom less. Yeah! Nick's mom, uh, if I wasn't being specific enough. Um, since she is, she is clearly trying to do what's best for her son, but yeah. um, she's also clearly not doing it, going by the right way, but she's doing this because she knows that Rachel will be treated the same as she was, and she doesn't want right. that for either Nick or Rachel. Even though she doesn't give a shit about Rachel, but she especially doesn't want it for Nick. Feel like by the end of the second book, like I had definitely, I had like softened to her. Um, even though she is giant bitch and she's super crazy, but like it all comes from a good place. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I, I actually ended up liking her. Um, I like Alistair. You know what I'm really glad about? Like I'm glad all of like Nick and Rachel's friends. I'm glad that none of them were bad people. Uh, especially Nick's friends. Nick's friends are super chill. Yeah, they're super chill. They're really nice. They're really nice to Rachel. Yeah. And I think that's like a really good move on Kevin Kwan's part. Like, I feel like it could have been really frustrating, um, really fast if, if it if there had been like a ton of backstabbing. I feel like that wouldn't have been fun. I would have just been really angry. Yeah, I mean, there is uh, the one part where like the dude's trying to throw the bachelor party. And Colin oh, and yeah. Nick are like, fuck this, fuck this guy. <laughs> We're not going to watch <laughs> yeah. illegal animal fighting. Right, right. Um, oh, but, you know, that even that situation is definitely handled. They, they get out of it, they run off to uh, New Zealand yeah. or whatever it was. Right, it was like uh, Australia to yeah. that rock. There, there's a name for that rock that I can't think of right now, the big red one, whatever. Oh, it's a super famous rock. Whatever. Anyway, they go there and drink flat whites, and it's super adorable. Yeah. Uh, though, God, these bachelor parties, bachelor slash bachelorette parties were something. Oh, my God. Uh, Again, I would be a nice rich person. Like, I would treat everyone well. Kind of rich person like that likes, uh, her friends just take as much as they want off the racks. And... Not like that kind of nice, though, because that's, like, weird, right? I feel like... I kind of felt bad for um, that character, Araminta. Yeah. Because I, 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 so there's a scene where, where like Araminta is like, she's having this bachelorette party and she's on like this private island resort and she basically opens up this boutique full of like designer clothing and she's like, hey girls, you have 10 minutes to shop and whatever you want is yours. And um, I just feel like in that moment, it seems like being rich is kind of like a lonely experience. Yeah. Because all friends are like, oh my god, it's the clothes. And I'm like, okay, but y'all are bitches. You clearly don't even care about her. Like, it's so, it's it's all like so leechy. It's gross. Um, no, I, I feel like if I was a rich person, like I would, like I would have cool vacations, but it like, you know, I would, I would fly my friends out to, you know, cool trips and, and we would have cool experiences and eat good food from my private chef or whatever, but it wouldn't be this weird, like, I don't know, wouldn't, it just wouldn't feel so gross, I guess. Although at that point, I guess all of your friends are, um, 
kind of mooching off of you. Ooh, did you – there is an article. It is on Racked, and it is called Weddings of the 0.01%, oh written gosh. by Julia Rubin. And it is about – there's um, it's where profiles, like a, like a couple wedding planners – like their entire job is to just plan events and weddings for like the uber wealthy. The most the forty million dollar weddings that yeah yeah and I'm sure like forty million dollars is like sort of on the like weekend. Yeah, I mean that that was by Arminta's mom, right? She's coming into the money. She doesn't have the money. Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh my god, this is yeah. It's a cool article. There's there was some crazy shit. Like, I think they were, like, renting out entire, like, forests and castles oh, and... Forests? Like, crazy stuff. Um, and they've been, they've been, like, hiring, like, Katy Perry and John Mayer <laughs> and, like, Mariah Carey. And I was reading, like, it gets awkward because, like, sometimes they'll have multiple A-list music acts. But then there's, like, weirdness if, like, you find out, like, if you're... I don't know, Katy Perry or whatever, and you're opening for Rihanna or something. And then that gets super awkward because these are people who like don't like opening for other bands or yeah. like other groups. So I thought that was kind of funny. But there's like basically a lot of these weddings are now like from crazy rich, like Russian oligarchs and like Chinese shipping magnates and like all of this crazy shit. Uh, uh, yeah, that's absurd. Um, they do have the, you know, the Korean, the K pop. Bang and Crazy Rich Asians, don't they? And there's someone who I think had the, uh, you know, the Love Live glow sticks, right? The what? Yeah, uh, you know, the glow sticks that they hold up at the Idol concerts? Yeah, yeah, I feel like I missed part of that sentence about the glow sticks in the K-pop band. Oh my god, yes! Sorry, it took me a while to remember what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah! Oh, I would be a great rich person. I'm just gonna put that out there. <laughs> I feel like I would party in style. I know. If any Nicholas Youngs want to take out take you out yes then. yes um look i'm currently engaged but that is up for negotiation <laughs> if you have to be part of a old money landed gentry like old family yeah that's fine uh no beverage tycoons i'm not into the new money but if you have old money <laughs> that's fine if you if you have like carnegie money that's good yeah Pearl can be your uh, concubine it'll be fine <laughs> yeah he'll be the pool boy <laughs> <laughs> I am on the side. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you excited about the movie? I am. I like visit this Wikipedia page to see if they've updated the cast every so often. Oh my god, I'm so excited. So, Crazy Rich Asians movie. I guess I'm excited about like multiple things with the Crazy Rich Asians movie. I'm super excited that first of all, it's going to be like a Hollywood movie with all Asians, like. Yep. That's great because for so many reasons, like it's great, right? It's it's I mean, it's 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 been a while since we've had a Hollywood movie with like an Asian lead at all. Right. I mean, I guess I mean, I'm trying to think of the last one, like uh, I mean, the three, the three big Hollywood movies that get cited as having all Asian casts are uh, crap, that musical from the 60s and then Joy Luck Club and now Crazy Rich Asians. Which musical from the 60s? Uh, You're not Miss thinking Saigon. of South Pacific, are you? Oh, Miss Saigon. I was going to be like, South Pacific is like that. That's like racist in its own way. Um, <laughs> well, oh, I mean, well, from what I hear, Miss Saigon is also racist in its own way. Yeah, yeah, aren't they all? 
Uh, oh, and I guess Slumdog Millionaire, Wasn't right? It a Hollywood movie though. Wasn't it? Yeah, because it was Danny Boyle. I never saw that movie. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I guess if you were to count Life of Pi, because there's like one Indian dude and like a bunch of CG animals, so that counts. <laughs> And that was a Hollywood movie, and that was like, um, that was Ang Lee, right? Yeah. I think, and, uh... That's like a 180, dude. It's not like a huge Asian like cast. One. It was an Indian tiger. Uh... <laughs> Look, I don't, I'm not really, Look. uh, clamping, camping at the bag for tiger representation. Because <laughs> Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon was not a Hollywood movie, right? Uh, you know, I'm Googling all of them as you speak. Dragon was Chinese. Okay. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire was also British, so it doesn't technically count. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's not a lot. But this cast, the Crazy Rich Agents cast, is very strong so far. And I only know so many of them. Constance Wu is Rachel Chu. Michelle Yeoh is Nick's mom. Let's see. Uh, Ronnie... What's his last name? Ronnie Chung Chan? Yeah... Who does a lot of stuff for like Daily Show? Like he's in it. Ken I don't know who's gonna. Ken Jeong's gonna be in it. Um, the the dude who plays um, uh, Jin Yang in uh, oh, yes. Silicon Valley. Jimmy O Yang. Yeah, so that's gonna be cool. Um, of course, Gemma Chan, my angel. Of course. Who uh, most recently was in that is in, is in Humans on AMC. In Humans. Um, no, 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 no. Humans, oh. the the show about the robots. They're just regular human shows. Yeah, except she's not a human. She's okay. a robot. Well, she's like a android thing. So, she so they're like, she's she is indeed inhuman on a show called Humans. Um, she plays Mia, and she is uh, an an angel. Um, she is so beautiful. Um, no, I'm really excited for it. Like, I'm really excited, and this is, like, this is part selfish, but part also sort of, like, for the greater good, but I'm, like, really excited to see some hot-ass Asian dudes in this movie, (laughs) you know, like, because, I mean, obviously for, like, selfish reasons, like, I just want to see hot dudes, like, you know, I am all up in the hot dudes, so I'm excited to see some hot dudes in this uh, yeah, this there's, movie. Been a, there's been a couple Asian, uh, attractive Asian women in movies so far, but like, yeah, they've been sort of, not a lot of Asian dudes. I mean, like, or at least like, you know, I mean, you can always name a couple. Like, there's there's some like hot Asian dudes who like currently have like you know relatively mainstream fame. Um, but like, I think I was just even. So I feel like I, I was talking to my friend about Crazy Rich Asians um, even just a couple of months ago, and I was telling her, like, about how there was going to be all these hot super dudes in, in Crazy Rich Asians, and she's white. And, like, she does the thing that I hate where she's like, um, I'm not really into Asian guys, but, like, these guys seem pretty cute. And I'm like, uh, bitch, you're not into Asian guys because Hollywood doesn't cast hot Asian dudes to be in movies, yeah. to be, like, leading men. Like, if you lived in a world where you saw hot Asian dudes in the movies that you watch all the time, like, hell yeah, you might be more into Asian dudes, you know? Because instead, all we get is this, like, shitty stereotype of, like, nerdos and... Long duck dong. Yeah, right, exactly. The sort of, like, sort of bullshit, effeminate, nerd boy. 
I'm sure uh, if you, like, even started naming Asian actors that are relatively famous, she'd be like, oh, that guy's pretty attractive. That guy's pretty attractive. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're... <sighs> and I'm not like. saying... Yeah, and I'm not saying, like, we have to live in a world where, like, we're gonna, like, fetishize Asian dudes or whatever, but, like, gotta fucking level the playing field a little bit. I mean, it's not, you know... Yeah. Like, like they're... Like Hollywood, you've had uh, 80 or so years of white men. Yeah. And there are billions of Asian women uh, and, like, women of other ethnic- ethnicities who, like, marry and, and procreate with Asian men uh, every day. So, clearly, people find Asian men attractive, right? Like, it's not – so it's really just, like, the fact that we have spun this ridiculous, like, stereotype about Asian men that I am hoping that a movie like this that's just, like – hot people uh i hope that will help like there's all these super hot dudes you know what makes me really happy and like sort of um i guess happy for the future of of uh asian americans that that dude on buzzfeed eugene yang if you so if you just google eugene yang uh buzzfeed like you'll see him pop up he is like he's one of the 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 quote-unquote try guys like he's like part of their video team i think he's like a video editor or whatever but he does like a ton of videos he does a bunch of videos also on like asian american issues and like sort of like asian american male stereotypes and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um but he is like legitimately like a teenage heartthrob and whenever there are videos that either just showcase just him or it's like him and the other guys like there are always just like like walls upon walls of these girls who are like, oh my god, Eugene is so hot! And it makes me really happy, honestly, that, like, there is this, like, dude who, uh, that all these girls, like, find super spicy, which I'm, I'm excited about, because, like, I don't know. I, you know, like, I have a brother. I hope, I mean, I don't want girls to find him spicy, because he's my brother, ew. <laughs> but, like, I want him to, like, you know, live in a world where, People are like, oh yeah, like man, that 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 Asian guy, like so hot, you know. Yeah. So I hope Crazy Rich Asians sort of helps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you, what did you think about the ending? What did I think of the ending? Yeah. Because uh, you know, it was a, a little out of left field for me, but I don't want to. Yeah. I was not expecting the ending. I guess I'm kind of neutral about it. I liked the ending in the sense that I'm glad that the good guys, quote unquote, won. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a weird ending. Also, like the the sort of part of my brain was like, well, wait a minute. So like y'all built some low income housing. Like, is that sustainable? Like once the houses are sold, now what? Like, how are you going to keep making money off of this parcel of land? Um, I guess I'm just happy that the good guys won. Yeah. Spoiler. They have to win. They have the money. I'm happy that the people who were shitty got their sort of got their comeuppance. Nothing made me happier than seeing Eddie get his. Uh, yeah. So I'm only read the first book. I'm still waiting for something to happen, and I'm glad to know something does. God, Eddie sucks. <laughs> By far, Eddie's like I hate him. Like if I had to rank the characters, hatred, Eddie's number one. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a testament to the writing that he's so egg, at least. My God, yeah. Uh, 
speaking of fashion, I mean, earlier we were talking sort of about Astrid's fashion. Um, I'm kind of impressed with Kevin Kwan's, like, ability to portray fashion in this world. Yeah. Uh... It's done... He he writes about fashion with the same sort of a plum that like George R. R. Martin writes about food, right? <laughs> in like in Song of Fire and Ice or Ice and Fire or whatever the fuck Game of Thrones. Uh yeah. Uh, once once things about fashion start to go over my head, I know it's <laughs> being written pretty well. But yeah, I'm sure. Well, and I because I think Kevin Kwan is like sort of part of that world, right? Like I don't know how part of that world he is, but I feel like I read in an interview once that he like is familiar somehow, like he's has seen inside that world. So like now I'm kind of curious, right? Like what his family background is. Uh, well, here's what Wikipedia says. His great grandfather was one of the founding directors of Singapore's oldest bank. So he's probably old money. Oh shit. Hey Kevin. Uh, his grandfather was, uh, ophthalmologist and became Singapore's first Western trained specialist. Ooh. And she he is related to Nancy Kwan, the sixties Chinese American movie star. Dude his stock just keeps going up and up. I know. This dude I know. He's probably writing about his own life. Yeah, right? It's hey like, Kevin. It's so ridiculous that we'll never believe it. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile he's like sleeping in a mattress stuffed with cash yeah. or like gold bars. <laughs> He's, like, sitting in his private plane. I mean, I guess you have to, like, know that world to to write about it. Yeah. It's great. I just want to be that kind of... I want to be... I mean, I've never really thought, like, oh, man, my, like, my my only, like... My life would be so much easier if I was, like, filthy rich. But sometimes it is nice to dream. And it's so nice to know that, like, right now there are so many people who look like me who are swimming in money um it's great i love it uh i think i read too um in an uh, interview or article somewhere that a giant chunk of the readership of of the fan base of crazy rich asians is actually white women that doesn't surprise me yeah i mean look a rich bitch fantasy is a rich rich fantasy like i'm not white but i love downton abbey so it's um, so that's kind of cool. Like, that, that actually kind of makes me happy to hear. Yeah. Though, um, like, it's somewhat frustrating because I'm sure they're like, oh, I can't really pronounce any of their last names. <laughs> yeah. I don't Is remember. Is it Or, mm, I just can't tell the Changs and the Shangs apart. And look, I have some difficulty <laughs> being raised by white people with names that don't have any vowels, but. <laughs> right. Um, and look, like, I'm gonna admit that every time there was, like, one of their relatives from, like, Thailand or, or Malaysia, like, I would just glaze over their name. So, like, I admit that, like, like, I would see a name that had, like, 20 letters, and I'd be like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cousin from Thailand. Uh, so, I get it. I yeah. get it. But, but look, there, so there I guess are three main families here. Young, Shang, and Xian. And that's not hard. Yeah. Plus, they all have, like, white-ass names, so... That's that's how I kept them straight in my head. It's really hard for me to remember Nick or Nico. Once they threw that in, that was curveball. <laughs> I expected this. Um, what I sort of got tripped up with eventually was, uh, and but this just goes back to there being too many characters versus like I couldn't understand because they had like Asian last names, but like all of like all of the older women, like all the like mom generation. Because there was, like, all the older women who had their, like, 
tea parties and their Bible studies and their bridge clubs and whatever. And then I would get some of those mixed up. So I'd be like, wait a minute, you're whose mom? And then so-and-so is the one who lives in the where and then blah, blah, blah. So like that, I would sort of get a little confused, but I probably still don't remember all of them. I'm like trying to think like, yeah, no, I don't think I remember all of them either. But I feel like I would have had the same trouble, even if their names were like Bronson, like, and James. Yeah. Smith, <laughs> Jack Harrington, whatever. Um, I do hear that he's, I mean, like, he's writing more stuff. And I think he has, like, a contract to do a TV show. But, like, this world is over. Like, he said he's not going to do anything more in this world. But now I'm very curious what else he's going to do. Yeah. You know, after three books, it's the, the trilogy. And I think you want to move on to something else. Yeah. You know, J.K. Rowling. Um... Although it would be cool if he did write, like, oh, here's this, here's this old family of Chinese wizards. <laughs> <laughs> they were dragon tamers. I learned the coolest thing, uh, by complete accident. Um, my mom was telling me that her grandma, like her grandma's mom was so amazing, like, must have been like her great grandma or some, something like that. But, like, part of her family at one point was also super fucking wealthy. Like, they had, like, a mansion in China. And they had, like, acres upon acres. Like, just just giant tract of land. So you you could have been old money. Ah, but during the Cultural Revolution, because they knew that if they had held on to their land, they would be killed. They, quote, they, like like, wink-wink, nudge-nudge, like, volunteered, like, their estate to the government. Uh, they just gave the government their estate. Like, oh, we want you to have it, because they knew that otherwise they would be murdered. So, boom, poof, family, well, on. Uh, yeah, being murdered is probably the less desirable option of the two. Yeah, I mean, not in anyone's life plan, usually. Yeah. And I assume it was probably not, like, a fast murder. It was probably, like, a slow murder. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. That was Chinese. But, <laughs> but I was super bummed. Like, I'm, I was, like, intrigued, but also bummed, because I was like, what? This is awesome. Like, what? What do you mean? It could have been, like, landed gentry. That could have been awesome. And have, like, a fucking orchard. You could have been Piglin. I could have been Piglin. Uh, uh, although Piglin was new money. True. True. Yeah, so... Could have been like somebody much cooler, um, not Picklin. Ugh. My family would have looked down at her family and been like, "Uh, <laughs> is Chinese expats living in Singapore with their new money? Gross." All these mainlanders. All these mainlanders. Ugh. Um. Yeah. <sighs> I still love how how racist the the uh, Singaporeans are against anybody else. I know. I know. But- in a weird way, like I was like I was, it made me happy to read it because like not like happy, like yay racism, but like it sort of made me chuckle, right? Yeah. Like Asians are super racist, like that is a fact. Like that's not obviously not all Asians, etc. But like it, there's there's almost like this weird comfort in knowing that there's like a giant chunk of the world where. Like, racism is alive and well towards people who still look at you, because it's almost in this, like, it's, like, it's clearly wrong and terrible, 
but it's like it's nice to know of like this world in which people who look like you are top dog <laughs> instead of always bottom dog, right? Like that's kind of um there's this and world there's where this... we can both be top dog and bottom dog. <laughs> bottom dog. <laughs> the whole dog pile. There's this great line, I think, when Nick's mom is like, like, oh, and they're Chinese. And Nick's like, we're all Chinese. <laughs> and that made me laugh. Like, in, in Japan, like, they, they're, like, they kind of hate the Chinese because, you know, they're like, ugh. Chinese immigrants, blah, girls. But it kind of makes me laugh because I'm like, first of all, y'all look the same. Like, you can't tell the difference. Racist Not like look the same, like Asian look the same, yeah, but like, yeah. you know, they all look like the same. Isn't it? It's like, it's like how the British, like, I didn't realize this until Brexit, but like, there's like a chunk of racist Brits who really hate the Polish because it's like a classist thing. Meanwhile, I'm like, how do you guys even tell the difference? Like, if you got rid of your accent, you would never know. <laughs> it's the same with, like, like in, like, Chinese immigrants. Like, if you just spoke perfect Japanese, like, they would never know. <laughs> like, uh. Um, or even. don't have a great relationship with Koreans either, as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, um, my family is from, like, southern China, so there's a lot of, like, Vietnamese immigrants, and they're like, ugh, Vietnamese. <laughs> Again, I'm like, you got, like, how would you know? <laughs> that uh, I guess at that point it's almost like a classism thing, right? Because it's like, ugh, yeah. oh, poor people. <laughs> same shit, different country. Same, yeah, same shit, different country, different. Um, man, I was reading something else recently too. It was like, I don't know if it was, and here's me being ignorant, but I don't remember which Southeast Asian country it was, but they were shitting on other immigrants from other Southeast <laughs> Asian countries, and they're just like, you know, they were in Vietnam or something, and they were like, ugh. Malaysians, yeah. and I'm like, y'all. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I don't know. You watched that Netflix special from uh, I forget her name, but it's yes, the pregnant, that the pregnant girl. <laughs> oh, Ali Wong. Yes, Ali Wong. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And she's I like, love- you know, there are two types of Asians. You know, there's the <laughs> the fancy Asians and the fancy jungle Asians. Jungle Asians. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband and I are half and half each. One of those. Yes. God, she's great too. How's it? She's also she's wonderful. Oh my god, I love her too. Um, that made me laugh. Uh, in a way, like Asian racism is, and I think I would feel way differently about Asian racism if, like, I was living in Asia and I was like one of the oppressed people, right? Like, I would be like, man, fuck this. This is terrible. Mm-hmm. But, like, because, like, I'm so far removed from that world, like, I almost, like, look at it with, like, a... I wouldn't say, like, comedic, but I'm almost like, oh, this is weird, right? Yeah. Because it's so... I mean, it feels... It really does feel, like, alien. I you know, mean, I'm like... We got our own racism to deal with in America, and then there's <laughs> I know, tribalism. I know. So we have yeah. to... We Asians have to stick together. <laughs> right, exactly. I think, like, that's what... That's kind of why I almost regard, like, Asian racism almost with this, like, quaintness, right? Because I'm just like, man, over here, like, we're all, like, we're all lumped into, like, everyone here doesn't matter where you're from. You're a chink. Go back to China. (laughs) And there's a, like, funny story from the Slants uh, front man who's, like, he was called a chink. He's called a chink. And he's like, no, I'm a chink. Please be culturally (laughs) conscious in your racism. (laughs) 
Oh, that was on the one of the episodes of um. They called Coach. us Bruce, right? It was either Coke's Mike or they called us Bruce. I don't remember. Oh God, I love they call us Bruce. They've been killing it lately. Great pro- great podcast. Um, second to yours, Corey. No, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Look, I know you haven't made it yet because you haven't tried to sell me a mattress. So no, that's true. Let me These tell days. You Tommy John underwear, though. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let's close this thing up. Any closing thoughts on Crazy Rotations? No, uh, closing thought. I hope everyone, like, regardless of who you are, what your background is, what you typically like to read, I would encourage everyone to check out Crazy Rich Asians. It is honestly, like, super fun. It is so fun. I, in, like, the best way. So, everyone, if you are looking for a book to read that you can blast through in, like, a day, check out Crazy Rotations. Yep. And if you don't like books, we got the movie coming out, which is yes. that book. With hot people. Yeah. Awesome. Alright, well, where can we find you on the internet, Bambi? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at uh, ANN underscore Bamboo. Um, I'm going to be... Uh, actually, I've been working on a website where I've been uh, going to be posting some like reviews, travel stories, whatever, personal essays, that kind of thing, too, so... Check me out on my social medias for updates on that. All right. Uh, are you going to change that? Because you don't, you don't name with ANN anymore. Um, I'm sort of like a forever ANN alum, um, yeah. and I still do like freelance for ANN. Yeah, like I still do something like reporting. Yeah, and I still do some like you know interviews, articles, reviews, everything like that. So once ANN, forever ANN. All right. Uh. We will take a short break, and we'll be back talking about Glow, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Thanks, Bamboo, for coming on and talking about Crazy Rotations. Thank you so much. Chris is with us again. Hello. Joining us, first time guest, David. Hey, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Oh, glad to have you on. Uh, and Pax, returning champion. Yeah, I am the champion, apparently. Oh. Wrestling expert. Though the last time I said that, someone got angry at Annie Gamers. Why did they get angry at Annie Gamers? Uh, that was the wanna be the strongest in the world episode. And oh, yeah, they got here. really angry at. Yeah, you can post me on Antigamers, and then he's like, so-called wrestling expert. Oh, I remember watching a really bad show. (laughs) You mean there's another podcast out there where people talk about both anime and wrestling? Oh, crap. Oh, God. Who's this one? This podcast, talking about Want to Be the Strongest in the World, which was... uh, Sports anime. Yep. Uh, But this time, we are here to talk about Glow. Sports anime. The new new sports anime from Netflix. (laughs) All right, so uh, David, David and Pax, you you guys are the wrestling fans uh, on this episode. Did you know about uh, the the Glow TV series uh, from the '80s before before this came out? 
I will say that I was aware of Glow, but it was a little bit before my time as a wrestling fan, and I've never really gone back to watch it. Uh, there was another wrestling show later on in the 90s in the early 2000s called, called Wow, the Women's of, Women of Wrestling. So that one kind of in the same ballpark. And when I heard about Glow and knew the precedent and knew about the Netflix series, I was pretty intrigued by it. Yeah, I mean, like, Glow started before I was born and, like, you know, was airing when I was a tiny baby for the most part. So, like, it's not something I was ever exposed to as a wrestling fan. I'd seen the um, the Netflix document or the documentary that's on Netflix now um, about Glow, which is actually uh, really good and worth checking out if you haven't and you've watched the show and you want to kind of see a little bit more of, like, where it came from. Uh, that would be worth checking out. But beyond that, like, I'd seen the documentary and it's like, okay, this is interesting. Um I wonder, and it was more of a, like, I wonder what they're going to do to turn this into a TV show about the production of a wrestling show called Glow. Mm. So I thought it was, I think it's, like, more interesting as kind of a, like, using the concept of Glow as kind of a jumping off point for something bigger as a show. Right. But yeah, not much exposure to it other than, like... Okay, this is an interesting footnote in American like television wrestling history. You know, I know uh, another podcast I was listening to, they were talking about Glow, and one of the, I think the host was like, hold up, Glow was like a real thing, and then another person was like, yeah, I used to watch it when I was a kid. Uh, so I don't know how, how common next sentiment is that like they didn't know that The Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling were, was a real television show in the 80s. Um I mean, I could see it being very easy to be surprised to find out that it was a real thing. Yeah. It is, uh, it is good that they're bringing it back here in, in Netflix form. Um, <laughs> I, I watched this uh, all in, in a couple of days. Is that the case for all of you as well? I watched it all in one day. <laughs> I watched it over a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I paced it out the Saturday and the Sunday when it first uh, dropped, so... One thing that's nice about it is that unlike a lot of like Netflix originals, the episodes are about 30 minutes each. Mm -hmm. TV shows in general, the the whole hour long format has gotten ridiculously out of fucking hand. I was so happy that these were only 30 minute episodes. So it's a way easier show to kind of like just breeze through. Yeah. Yeah. I I watched it while cleaning. By the time it got to the last episode, I was really surprised. Like, wow, it's it's already done. Okay. That's actually my cool. res- how I responded to it, too. It's like, oh, wait, this is the last episode? Cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, like, ostensibly a comedy show, uh, which is why it has that 30-minute 30 um, 30 runtime. Uh, but did you all know about uh, this this Netflix series? We were excited about watching it before, before it came out. I did because I... I like Allison Brie, so 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 she she'd been talking about it and it'd been kind of floating around for qu- quite a few months. Uh, so I think I first like I first saw it like okay, so this is a thing that's actually finished maybe four or five months before it aired because I I don't even remember it, it just aired last month, right? It wasn't in June, it was July, right? Um, uh, sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I was pretty excited. It just came out that June twenty third. Yeah. Oh, the end of June. So close. Yes. Yeah. So close. 
time moves by too quickly. Yeah, so so just by me being a fan of Allison Brie and following her exploits, that that's what keyed me into it. And so I had been anticipating it for for quite a few months. I will say, just as someone who is deeply entrenched in the wrestling space, I was aware of it, and I know that there would be some cameos, and there would be at least one person that is a well-known professional wrestler in the cast that ended up being Kia Stevens, a.k.a. Amazing Kong or Awesome Kong. So just generally, because it was in the wrestling space, I was interested, but I didn't really get around to watching it until talking about it with you guys yeah i mean i'm kind of in the same boat as you like i knew it was coming and it's like okay this sounds interesting i kind of wondered well like what direction it would be going uh as far as like how it would be treating wrestling um but like i wasn't clamoring to watch it but everyone kind of responding and talking about how great it was and then you guys talking about it got me to watch it basically but yeah it was definitely on my radar yeah. Uh, basically so it's it's not it's not like the like most unique thing in the world but I basically have like an 80s pop culture fetish. So mm. the the minute like the footage for for it came out and it was like, "Oh, we have big hair and spandex. I cannot watch this show fast enough." That was all I cared about cuz I'm I'm not a wrestling fan and I never was uh when I was a kid. Uh Glow finished airing when I was 8 years old, so I was kind of in that time in that age group but just the 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 recent resurgence of we have to make everything 80s i'm perfectly okay with so i that that's what was my draw to it uh well before we uh get to two more and kind of the show itself uh let's recap recap what glow is and chris you usually have a a good penchant for recapping shows you want to break it down i think you're lying um (laughs) Um, sure, I'll give it a shot. Uh, Glow is a, it's a entirely fictionalized biopic of the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which was a TV show that started airing in 1986 and continued until 1990. Um, the whole premise of the show focuses on the initial creation of the television program where Alison Brie, her character is kind of the, the audience proxy where we follow her as the struggling actress that ends up getting an invite to an open audition that turns out to be for this ridiculous wrestling show. Um, none, none of the characters are actual ca- uh, human beings that, that existed in 1985 that created the show. They're, they're, they're all entirely fictionalized they're kind of amalgams of characters from the from glow in a lot of ways too or like slightly tweaked versions of them like slight slightly different but very similar names that kind of stuff right um for me uh being the big movie person like it really skews away the the director his name is sam they never really talk about the director and his work because it's all not supposed to be Matt Simber, but it 100% is Matt Simber. Um, it's just, it's, it does it through this really weird, um, hey, remember you made that one weird movie a couple of years ago? Which, and we can, we can definitely say that it is not the, the promoter of Glow and Wow, David McLean. You're right. Well, that, that's who the, the rich kid is. 
so he was he, that's that uh, the rich kid whoever I can't remember what his name is with the the drug robot that's the David McLean proxy but but it's so far skewed from what the reality was and um so it's it's really interesting to try to think of it in that that scope um but yeah it just the the 10 episodes of the series leads up to all these girls getting together and learning how to wrestle coming up with the story and culminating in the in the live taping of the premiere episode. I know the, the, the kid that is funding this place as Fizz from Veronica Mars. So that is that is what I refer to him as in my head, but his character name is uh, Sebastian Howard Bash. Bash, that's right. All right, uh, so what, what do you all think of the show? Um, were, you, uh, were you pleased with the outcome? I Well, before... Uh, before you all answer that, I had no idea who Mark Maron was before this, besides, like, I thought he was just this dude who did podcasts. Um, Same. <laughs> I mean, it, this is probably the first thing I've ever liked Mark Maron in. Um, Agreed. He was actually, like, coming into it, in my mind, he was actually a negative on the show. Um, and then watching it, like, he kind of steals the show in a lot of ways. He plays uh, this role absolutely perfectly it's it it feels like a role he was made to do just he has that personality and just his overall presentation as sam in this was completely on point for the 80s and pro wrestling it was absolutely perfect and and just his whole auteur movie director shtick he he nailed that almost on a scary level he was absolutely fantastic yeah like yeah he did he did a great job he was honestly like him and uh allison brie kind of made the show yeah and their honestly their interactions together are a lot of like the best part of the show and that's not to even discount anyone else because honestly uh the whole cast was fantastic but those two and their relationship was like the thing of the show like these two are carrying uh carrying the weight of the show but then everything else like that by itself would make uh as good a show as glow is and then everyone else really um fills out the rest of the cast and uh makes makes glow something that like i really enjoyed i will say that a, a few of the cast members really when they had an opportunity to stand out they they really did um, the previously mentioned Kia Stevens, who was the welfare queen, I, I thought uh, even just being a pro wrestler, she came into this and acted and performed and did extremely well, in my opinion. And even just just coming from being a pro wrestler, not having any other kind of acting experience, she did a great job. Uh, Sunita Mani, who I'm a big fan of, was uh, the, the Lebanese girl uh, who wasn't really Lebanese. I think she was really good, and I think just a lot of the side characters they they really they really held it together. Uh, the they were the glue of the show. Uh, most specifically, I want to give a shout out to the girl that played Melrose. I thought she was really really good too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, even like the two the two girls who play uh, the old old woman were kind of like anytime they're on screen, it was just something really dumb was happening, and next. Uh, that was a kind of enjoyable experience to break up the other dumb things that were happening. And, and can we talk about Sheila the She-Wolf? Oh my goodness. Uh, what is there much to character. say about Sheila? Is there much to say? I mean, oh, 
I, I think ultimately, like, the thing with the show is it's this really strong ensemble that's, like, that they're able to, in a weird way, um, as, in, like, wrestling, they be- they become really these um, larger-than-life kind of personalities just in their little world. And when they're just dropped into different scenes, you get something out of each of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, in this in this vein of um, these backup characters or these side characters, who was your favorite? Uh, who was your favorite character besides you know Ruth and Debbie and Sam? I I this is a tough one for me. Uh, I I really enjoyed Sheila's the She Wolf, especially on her birthday episode. Um, also, again, the welfare queen uh, Kia Stevens. Uh, also. Um, what was her name? The the one played by Sydney Noel, Junk Chain, Junk Chain, uh, and like I said, Melrose. I, I really, it's like you said, it was a really strong ensemble cast. So I would have to say either Melrose, Sheila the She Wolf, or the Welfare Queen. Uh, out of all of them, I mean, I think for me it would probably be a uh, Cherry Junk Chain, uh, Sidel Noel, because mm-hmm. uh, I think she actually did a really good job of um, really, like, I'm, t- I'm trying to think what I'm... I really want to see more out of that character, because I think in a lot of ways, she is one of the better developed characters outside of the leads. And her relationship with um, Sam, Mark Maron's character, and then her husband was all really interesting stuff. And I really hope we get to see more of that out of her, even though it seemed like the end of the season was kind of building towards maybe that not happening. Yeah, seeing her like succeed uh, on a professional level, maybe because of Glow, was a good payoff for the character. But it'd be a big shame to see her leave the show. I really appreciated uh, the performances of the cast members that I mentioned, because as someone who really appreciates the over the topness of professional wrestling. Seeing actors and and seeing a show like this take that, the pro wrestling concept, and put it into a show like this and allow actors to really just go all out and be fully pro wrestling campy, that, that that was something I appreciated. So some of the more subtle performances, I guess, went a little bit under my radar. So I can say I really appreciated the over-the-top ones, like like Sheila the She-Wolf and the Welfare Queen specifically, because it was so accurate to the time for what professional wrestling was in the 80s, and that was executed really well by those that I mentioned. Yeah, I mean, one of the best over-the-top wrestling things was uh, Cherry and uh, Tammy the Welfare Queen coming out and fighting the two... The two old women who are now dressed as KKK members. Like this is a thing <laughs> that I could possibly see happening in wrestling and being really frustrated with, but it ended up being a, a very good execution. I think one of the things I really liked about the show and what it did with its characters and kind of the development of their um, uh, personas, their wrestling personas, uh, was kind of like. So I'm going to kind of talk more about why I think why Sam was kind of the best part of the show in a lot of ways. And it's the so there's this very clear through line that he thinks that his films 
have like a really have these really serious messages to them and are like subversive and things of that nature. But kind of the world around him thinks of him as a joke in that none of his stuff is serious and that everyone thinks it's funny more than anything else. And what we see is as he starts to move into the realm of wrestling and help these women develop these characters, he's latching onto, again, like racist stereotypes and things of that nature. And his, the way he likes to talk about it in the show is, oh no, it's subversive. We're, we're criticizing these stereotypes over the course of the show. But the reality of it is, and the reality of 80s wrestling is, no, you're playing directly into them. That's why the, um, the one Asian girl is named Fortune Cookie in the, in the black woman's the welfare queen. It's like you're not being subversive. You're playing directly into these stereotypes and it's played so straight by his character that it's just perfect. And I mean, going along those lines, a lot of these characters, I don't remember their real names. Like, I know them because I'm staring at Wikipedia right now. But, um, like, what tends to come to my mind is those stereotypes. Like, I remember who the welfare queen is, but if you talk, if you told me Tammy Dawson, I would have trouble telling you who that was. And I think a lot of that actually goes to, they don't say a lot of their names like very much in the show. Mm-hmm. Like outside of like, once they start getting their gimmicks, like in the early part before they start creating their characters, a lot of them are just kind of there in the background. And a lot of that comes to, from the fact that, you know, the first handful of episodes are built around the idea that they're still picking out girls. Right. And they're, they're not even like, well, here are the ones we've actually settled on until a certain point, two or three episodes in. So they're all kind of like just there. I feel like the only ones that over the course of the show, you really like hear people talk to in their at and refer to like by their first names are like Sam and Ruth and Debbie. Yeah. Well, they were the character. They were the yeah. The they were characters. the leads. Admittedly, they were the leads. But to, to that point, uh, just within the wrestling context, we're calling them by their character names. That's not uncommon when it comes to pro wrestling. We're we're in in a way we're respecting kayfabe in, in a lot of ways. Just if we know them by their character names and not what well their wrestling character names and not the names they were in the eighties, as it were. That's really not that different from the norm. Right. And Kayfabe is uh Kayfabe for the non wrestling fan out there is just the idea of respecting the canon and respecting the narrative of the universe and not calling a pro wrestler by their real name unless they just happen to go by their real name, which some do. But generally, you're respecting the canon of the wrestling universe as is. Uh, back in the day, before the business was exposed, it was the idea that people believed that wrestling was real. That was kayfabe. And if you were speaking about things in public, that would be kind of the word you would use to say, eh, eh, no. Right. Uh, knock it off. And, in this and time, now heels and faces didn't like even travel together. Right. But now it's just kind of respecting the canon. Yep. Well, Chris, uh, we have our night night digging. Uh, get your favorite side character. Who would that be? It's it's a tie uh, between the one that both David and Pat have mentioned, Cherry Bang. Uh, she was absolutely perfect, uh, but her and her husband together were probably my favorite characters um, in the whole thing. 
uh, with the, the close runner up being Carmen, um, the girl who played, uh, Machu Picchu, uh, her, her whole story with her wrestling father, but she's got stage fright and she was basically like the, the, the kindest one in the entire group. Um, I, I really liked her story arc probably the most in terms of the, uh, the growth of being as a wrestler. So definitely those two. Yeah, Carmen was very good. Um, and, uh, her brothers were also real wrestlers and a bit of cameo experience, Rose Clay and Carlito. I'm, I'm not familiar with Rose Clay, but I do remember Carlito spitting apples in several people's faces back when I was watching wrestling in the mid 2000s. Um, speaking of other cameos, they also had Johnny Nitro, better known as Johnny Mungo now, as the trainer in the first episode and a couple other cameos that uh, I'm not as familiar with, but Bax, David, did you did you appreciate these cameos? Did you know all these people when they showed up? Oh, did I? A- absolutely. Uh, Johnny Mundo, as you mentioned, uh, Alex Riley, who was Steel Horse uh, when Debbie went to a wrestling show. Uh, Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian were also in this bit. And uh, as you mentioned, Brodus Clay and Carlito. And most notably... Uh, the best the- one. The, the always fascinating and uh, a pro wrestler, if you're not paying attention to, you should, uh, the incomparable Joey Ryan. Uh, and you've probably was, actually heard of Joey Ryan. You just don't realize it because he's the guy that suplexes people with his dick. <laughs> he is the king of dong style, and you've yeah. probably seen his gifts on the Internet. Yeah, he's, he was a meme uh, probably within the last year. I literally just saw a video of him doing this to Mick Foley last night. Yeah. Yeah, that's him. I feel I feel blessed. I feel blessed to uh, confidently say, no, I have no idea. You're missing out, man. I don't think I am. I'm okay. They also had some old archive footage of Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and even Gorgeous George, which was pretty cool. Yeah. It was uh, kind of cute watching Allison Brie, like watching those wrestlers of that time and learning from them and uh, realizing that like wrestling is not this serious, serious acting gig. It's kind of campy. It's kind of silly. Uh, and you need to really embrace that, and, which she did with her Zoya the Destroyer character. I'm sorry, Zoya the Destroyer. Yeah, get it right. You Americans and your capitalism, and you can't even pronounce the names right. Just watching the the evolution uh, of. Alison Bree's character and the creation of Zoya the Destroyer was a highlight for me because, uh, again, it was the 80s, so there was still that whole Cold War going on. So in an episode where Alison Bree's character, Ruth, goes to talk with uh, the Russian guy and she uh, she goes with him to uh, a party that ends up being a bar mitzvah. I think it was a bar mitzvah. Uh, and no, it was she a bris. A bris, my mistake. And she ends up embarrassing the hell out of herself in one way, but in another way, totally ingratiating herself. It was really entertaining. I think that seeing her create Zoya the Destroyer was really, really fun. I, I think, I'm hoping I'm not the only one seeing that enjoyed seeing Ruth Wilder create this character. Absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, she was terrific, and that was that was such a crucial part to the whole show because she, you know, she wants to be an actress, but she's the most reserved and and introverted person um, out of the whole cast. 
and she ends up evolving into the most outlandish character because she's actively provoking everybody because of the Cold War. Um, that that dichotomy um, is so stark that yeah, her the journey from A to B was really good. Alison Brie is great. I mean, that episode is great. That's one of the best ones with her going to the. Her, she basically latches onto this guy because he's the one Russian person she knows. And, like, at this point, she's gotten a pop from Sam from doing the Russian accent. So she's like, okay, now I have to be this Russian character. So she latches onto the one Russian person she knows. And, yeah, makes an ass out of herself. But she does it in such a way that's, like, weirdly endearing to her insanely, like you said, reserved character. Also, she's being put into a horribly awkward situation without knowing it because it's like an adult man being circumcised there and she doesn't understand what's going on until, you know, <laughs> they literally forcibly drag a man behind a curtain to, you know, do what they do. It was like something out of Five Old Mouskowitz's American Journey. Oh, boy. Hmm. So, yeah, there's a, it, it, she's extremely good. Uh, yep. I loved Alison Brie in this. It was a, a bit of a departure from her community character. Sure. <laughs> well, it was when you first when you first see her. You know, she's trying to you know playing everything very dramatically. Um, it's only when she goes into Zoya to destroy a mode that that her comedic abilities really start to shine. The rest of the time, she's really playing it straight. Um, yeah, she's kind of the straight man or straight woman to a lot of the other weird ass characters. Yeah, because everybody else they're 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 just they're just always weird, uh, which was really, really fun because you just see the the weird personalities become even weirder uh, when they were performing as the their wrestling characters. I mean, like her scenes with. Um well, Sheila the She-Wolf um, were all really great because it was her playing, like, this extremely uncomfortable, uh, awkward girl against this crazy person who's, like, she, living her character. She's a wolf, guys. She's a wolf. She's not a crazy person. She's, She's a, a wolf. wolf. And, and that's okay. They sure. accepted her. They they took her out to, for roller skating and... and cake on her birthday as you do with your wolf friends as you do i didn't get to mention um justine Britt baron's character uh who's uh the girl the kind of girl that seems like she's too young to be there yeah the movie the movie nerd the yeah the The one that's super into sam's movies yeah, yeah super into sam's movies for some weird reason and seems like she's again like she's too young to be there but it's like extremely awkward and it's actually really hilarious and cute over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. But that, and then uh, it's extra weird by the end. Yeah. We find <laughs> out why she's there and the, the events that lead up to that are really funny while being really weird at the same time. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's talking about his idea for his, his next movie. Sam is talking about his idea for his next movie, which is, uh, back to the future. Yes, exactly. Back to the future. Um, and then Justine is there being like, oh, this is such a great idea to make your movies and keep doing that. Um, but throughout this whole thing, of course, Sam is thinking, well, this chick is coming on to me. And he kisses her, and then she's like, whoa, I'm literally your daughter. What are you doing? 
And one of the things I, I, I enjoy that the fact that this is a Netflix show and wasn't aired on like normal network TV is, you know, the, the cursing that comes involved, you know, cursing for the sake of cursing. That's something that HBO does. But Mark Marin, um, when he walks up to Justine to confront her later, he's like, look, I'm sorry I tried to fuck you. It just it's so funny because it's so fucked up and he's so dense. Like, it's like, check yourself, sir. And he's like, what? And then the line immediately after that, uh, he says, I'm sorry I tried to fuck you. If I knew you were my daughter, I wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Mind you, um, what is it that her boyfriend's mother walks up behind him as he's saying this? Yes. And has this incredible, horrified look on her face. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I liked Justine as a character, but of all of the entire cast, her character seems like the one that has been um, spent going into the next season. Because I think they did say they were going to uh, do a second season already. Like of everybody, I can imagine where each character could go and what what interesting things they could do. But I see nothing for her character except for Sam to be a father, which is a shame because that's literally just taking this character and destroying any agency she might have. And she's just going to exist there. I, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's it's, a good avenue for her to get out of the situation. The first season. I mean, the reality of it is it's like her arc has kind of happened. So, yeah, it's, she's spent. She she, yeah, she she could be a background character or whatever, or do some stupid shit. But like the most you can see out of a character like that, like you're saying, is just um her as a tool for Sam's character to develop now. Yeah, so. which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If Glow does get a second season, that that necessarily wouldn't be a terrible thing to have. Not necessarily terrible, but she she before before the reveal at the at the end of the series, her, her character was much more interesting and they could have really dove into, into that. And now the story is, is fighting against that. So it'd be interesting to see if they overcome that in a second season, you know, if they, they, they surprise us, but of, of all the characters, she's the one that I went from. Yeah. She's a really great character to Oh, well, second season. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. They're basically going to have to start from scratch with this character, but I think, uh, moments like with her and the, pizza boy like she just keeps ordering pizza because she can't say anything besides thanks for the pizza that donnie darko tears for fear is rocking it out yeah uh, so that was super cute and i think if we have more of those moments going more in that direction like uh she now said this thing to her father how does this affect her as a person on whole um then we'll hopefully get some more some more from this character because Britt baron is very good in the role and i don't hate to see i don't hate to see anybody drop off of this cast, whether that be Sidney Noel or, or Baron or whoever. So are you going to talk about Ellen Wong at all, Corey, or are we just going to pretend that you don't care? <laughs> right, so, let's talk about Ellen Wong. I love I love Ellen Wong uh, as an actress from, from Scott Pilgrim. Everybody loves, everybody loves right. Ellen Wong. Um, but she didn't have much I think this is the this. first time I've seen anything that she's been in. You ever saw Scott Pilgrim? No, I think Scott, Scott Pilgrim is so good. Scott yeah. Pilgrim is so good. Anyway. That's the only thing I've seen her in except for The Void, and I have no recollection of her being in that movie. Uh, yeah, but I loved her in Scott Pilgrim. Uh, 
given that she is the only East Asian, I'm like, well, I have to root for the other the other Asian person. Um, but not not much happens with her character in the show besides uh, being in the main event and being betrayed by Zoya the Destroyer. It was yeah, classic I mean, pro wrestling. It really was just yeah. pure classic cheesy pro wrestling. She's yeah. also kind of like just portrayed as like a party girl stereotype. Yeah. And that's about all you get. I did appreciate yeah. when they were like, uh, I think they said something about her being Chinese, and then she's like, I'm Cambodian. And the actress is actually Cambodian. Yeah, and then his response is, well, it doesn't matter or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Which is it's like also, close enough for what we're going for. Wrestling. Yes. Just like Sunita Mani, who who I absolutely love, uh, who plays Trenton on Mr. Robot, uh, who played Ar- Arthi, uh, Beirut the Mad Bomber from Lebanon. Uh, she didn't have as much as the others, but I've always said that with anything she gets, she she's really, really good. And she had a little bit more than Ellen Wong did, but not she much. Did. Yeah, they, they were definitely like they, they did a pretty good job of balancing the ensemble cast while, you know, of course, the focus is on the main characters. But they did a pretty decent job, except for Arthi and Jenny. Like they are the two that I felt like, why are they even in this show? But you 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 see them and you're like, no, these these characters and these actresses are awesome. I want more of them in this show. But they're the, they were the most neglected ones. Yeah, that also, like, leaves space open for them to do more with them next time. Mm-hmm. Which would be good. The little moment where... I mean, like, I would also say... I would say they got about as much as the uh, the the two ladies that played the old ladies. They didn't get... <laughs> they were literally, like, comic relief in the background. That's all they existed for. I, I watched the, the, the Glow documentary that you mentioned earlier, Pats, and I think that those two will actually... Like, they could really become more prominent in the second season because the actual wrestlers that they're based off of they 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 had two roles there was the the housewives which are the the old biddies and then the crazy hair metal kiss uh characters chainsaw or whatever so so i think that that they were neglected but there's at least a really big opening from the real history of glow that they could really bring them out whereas I feel that the poor Indian girl is going to forever be the Middle Eastern terrorist without getting See, too much. Okay, more. so I feel like there's more there's potential with her though because like the big thing with her character was that her like grandmother is obsessed with pro wrestling and we even see that at one point and now she's going to be on TV as a as a terrorist wrestler and I I feel like there's potential for like family drama with that character just as a result of that kind of stuff. Whether or not that actually they actually go that route, we'll see. But I think it would be really interesting to go that way. Yeah. So all this, mean, all this really means is that we need another season. Basically. Yeah. What are, and it seems like it was really popular, so I, I doubt we. I'd be surprised if we don't. So yeah. Yeah. Well, this uh, is a, uh, you have another point. I don't know where are we going now. Well, I was going to transition. This is a good point. This is a good uh, transition point to some of the questions that we got, um, which is from Izangro, which which character would you like to see explored slash developed more in season two? I think we just answered that. Well, yeah, but uh, we we did. But I have another another one. Sure. More Carmen. Oh, so yeah. the the glow documentary really kind of fucked me up. 
so the character that that Carmen the Machu Picchu is based off of right. was Mount, Mount Fiji, and in that Glow documentary, everything is just like she was the greatest person, and I guess she kind of became the star because of how wonderful she was. Like, and now I'm just like, oh, I want. I want even more Carmen now because I want to see more of this Mount Fiji character um, portrayed through this character that I already think got a lot of attention, but can go even further, like make her the main character. Like I love Alison Brie, but Ruth and Debbie's, you know, in extramarital friendship, like fuck that shit. That can go into the background. Um, can I be on? I'm going to, I'm going to say something. I actually found Debbie to be completely uninteresting. She was. Well, that like, was the point. That was like, the point. Yeah, to to the yeah, I get that as a point, like, but to the point where I don't really care to see any more of her. Like, she feels like as much of a tool for Ruth's character's development as like um, Justine feels like for Sam's. Yeah, Except and that is why one of the main characters. That is why I could see a lot more with Justine in season two. Because I think that this idea of Sam now having a daughter while still trying to be this film director genius in his own guy in his own head guy while still trying to make wow happen, all while trying to be a dad to this girl who is hanging out with this pizza boy, I think that could make for some really interesting f- comedy as well as drama, because this show does both. I could see Justine uh, being more prominent in season two. I could see it. Yeah, I would love uh, some more development from, well, I need like an entirely new arc from Justine, and then Carmen and Jenny, of course, need more screen time to show who these people are. Most of the cast, really. Most of the ensemble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, just, I, I really felt like the, the whole basic dramatic backbone with Ruth and Debbie. I felt, I felt that it was so generic, like, Oh, this Extremely. is everything that we've ever seen before. Like, I understand that Americans, you know, as a whole are kind of stupid and they need, you know, simple things to get into te- television shows. That's why so many TV shows and movies are, you know, formula and, you know, tried and true because that's how you can get to the widest audience. But we have so many TV shows, like, it's okay to be more different than, you know, you're, if you're trying to do something unique, cool, go the extra mile in it by adding the, the Ruth Debbie dynamic felt like a step back. Like, instead of just making a show about women's wrestling, it's, oh, it's every other TV show that just also happens to be about well, let me ask a question in that case when it comes to Ruth and Debbie. Do you think that someone that is coming into this blind, that has no real frame of reference as far as Allison Brie goes or professional wrestling goes, they see that storyline. Do you think that they would get pulled in by everything else? Like, Do you think that that would happen? Yeah, I think, that, I I think, think the, the rest, rest of it is, show so, is so strong. Yeah. Like it's 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 it functions exactly what as it was intended to do. It's the the entry point. It's the generic. Let's get more eyeballs into it. And the rest of the show is so strong that I think moving forward you can just drop that entry point and and continue to evolve everything else because it is very strong. And I I think people would be more taken by the developments of the the show. 
I don't I don't think it any the, the future success relies on maintaining that generic that generic backbone. It's also it also makes for in a lot of ways I feel like a really awkward like part of the show that's gonna never that I feel like is never gonna coalesce into a strong like redemption for the characters because it's always gonna have that kind of baggage to it and baggage that like I feel it didn't need. Like, I feel like you could have gotten a lot of that same stuff out of some other drama in their lives that didn't, like, carry this weird, like, pressure on it that's now going to kind of have to define these characters going forward. Yeah, like, like, well, it may not necessarily. It might not. If if Glow does get another season, it, it looks like Debbie is already moving on from her seemingly ex-husband. And maybe this is their way of starting to go forward if there is another season. Uh, I get I I'm extremely skeptical that that's what it's going to that's where it's going to go, just because it feels like I'm just skeptical of that being where it goes. That's what I would like it to do. It just doesn't seem like the likely uh, route it's going to take based on like what they've actually done this season so far. Yeah, if it it, it, it was such a major part of it. Yeah, it, it it left me the final episode. I rewatched the final episode this morning, um, but it, but it really does. It feels like okay, so the next season is really going to be ha- on resolving their friendship, like making them friends again. That's the kind of feeling that it gives you, and it's just like, hey, we don't need that. I guess is that really would that really be that much of a detriment? Because no, I don't De- think it would like, be a detriment. None, Debbie none had her character that. arc for season one, and if that character continues in season two, that would be the next part of her story arc. Yeah, no, I don't think any of it would be a detriment. It's just it is generic, and there's much more interesting avenues that it could explore. It's 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 just a wish, you know. It'd be nice if it went with more of the in- more interesting aspects and dumped the standard American TV show plotline structure. That, that's all, that's all I intended. It's, I don't think, I didn't think it was necessarily bad or, or a detriment or would be a detriment going forward, but there's so much more that it could do if it wasn't tied down to that idea. Well, we will see. Um, well, hopefully there's a second season, right? Coming. I don't think they've officially announced one. No yet. official announcement okay. yet. All right. Well, we will hopefully see. Uh, second, second question also from Zangra. Best song used? Uh, she says. Dang well, I got this answer. The Warrior and the Invin- and Invincible are her favorites. No, these are both. Those are both the wrong answers. The correct <laughs> answer is Dare by Stan Bush. Oh my God! From, from the Transformers, uh, the movie soundtrack. You're fired. <laughs> Which is uh, the it's the hype song for Debbie and um uh um um, um Ruth's uh, training montage. Oh. And well, you're Wolf? all wrong. You're all wrong. <laughs> and I don't care about Transformers references. It's under pressure with Queen and David Bowie. Mm. <laughs> Look, it's Stan Bush though. Yes, it was the 80s. I get it. Uh, uh, the, the, the objective best song featured in the show is, of course, Journey's Separate Ways. But I, I have to go with uh, with Isandra, with Dana, um, Invincible. It, it had the best use in the film, and The Legend of Billie Jean is a terrific movie. So all the love for that Pat Benatar song. 
Uh, I uh, have a terrible memory of like music used in television shows, so I'm just looking at the list, being like, which of these songs do I like the most? Yeah, Dare, definitely the best song. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow. it's obviously Under Pressure, because without <laughs> Under Pressure, we wouldn't have Vanilla Ice. Thank you. Uh, do we need oh, Vanilla Ice? That, I don't know. What a beautiful a world we could have lived in. Uh, I really feel like the best song was uh, Life in a Northern Town, though. Was what? Life in a Northern Town. Oh, yeah, not big on that one. When was that used? Episode 4 opening. I don't even remember the openings, really. I don't remember them either. But it's listed here. Cool. I remember Dare. <laughs> I popped for that. <laughs> I was like, wait, what the fuck is this song doing in this show? <laughs> because it was the 80s. Yeah, it was. Did they use that in the actual Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling? I I don't think so. Probably. From, from everything that it sounds like, this was like the world's most low-budget show, so I don't think they even ventured into music rights. I mean, they came up with their own absolutely god-awful raps for each character, so... Which was a thing the, the, in... That's, thing is, that's like a real thing. I oh, know, yeah. I know, and it was terrible. Always. It's always been terrible. Bad ideas. Just everybody, it's, it's when so, you're done... When you're done listening to this podcast, everybody go on YouTube and look for the Wrestle Rock Rumble. That's all I have to say. Uh, honestly, just look for the, the, the real version of the Glow rap, because it's incredible. It's incredible like, in quotes. Add quotes. One of those things that I actually love about kind of like Glow, so they were actually, again, it was the 80s, it was still kind of in that period where they were still kind of enforcing more kayfabe, and... They were really committed to it in that, like, they didn't want, like, the bad guys and the good guys hanging out with each other outside of the shows and stuff of that nature. But also, they had a rap where everyone got together and rapped about their character and what their character was like anyway. Is this like the Super Bowl shuffle? Yeah. So bad. The, the Glow just, documentary. Just like the Wrestle Rock Rumble, too. Yeah. yeah the Glow documentary had, like, Half of the people that were interviewed, like they at some point during it, they all recreated, you know, they they all had the rap memorized. So they did it again. And it's just like, Jesus, did you have no shame? No. <laughs> so bad. Hell no. Mm-mm. Wrestling isn't about shame. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. Wrestling may not be about shame, and that's perfectly okay, but you don't understand how bad these raps are. <laughs> <laughs> They're so bad, and it's wonderful. <laughs> oh, one thing I wanted to mention that I thought was real. So Chavo Guerrero Jr. was the actual like consultant and kind of the wrestling trainer for Glow, the Netflix series. His uncle, Mondo Guerrero, was the trainer for the original Glow. Damn. It's kind of like a, kind of like a weird family connection to this thing. Guerreros but, are all over the place. They are all over the place, and there's a lot of them. Um, but, like, I think that's kind of my closing thought is, like, I was really impressed with this show and how, one, it it didn't, it treated wrestling like kind of the weird thing it is, but it embraced it and didn't kind of laugh at it. And that was kind of the thing I really appreciated about the show coming out of it in the end. I generally feel the same way that the Netflix series showed a level of respect for pro wrestling as it is, while at the same time not really shying away from what it was in the 80s. And also, it had a really strong 
ensemble cast of ladies that performed really well and had some fun, campy moments that I really appreciated as a wrestling fan. And just overall, Mark Barron really absolutely killed it in this in this show. He absolutely killed it and deserves to be recognized for for it. Yeah, no, um, I, I I really really enjoyed this series. Um, I I am not a wrestling fan. I never was, even when I was very very young. But the stories behind wrestling that that you can tell, just like with Darren Aronofsky's film The Wrestler, last you know eight years ago. You can tell really good stories and, and the fact that they do approach the subject, you know, with some kind of respect. They're not in there making fun of it. They're not bashing it. They're just, let's tell a story about, about wrestling. That is so interesting, um, all the time. You know, movies about movies, some of my favorite things. And the TV show, I think, I think really captured what is interesting about the behind the scenes of wrestling while capturing what makes what makes wrestling appeal to people even though it didn't change my opinion you know i do not want to watch glow like the original tv show because those clips from the documentary that shit was bad um (laughs) yeah uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't change me um or my opinions but I will watch further seasons. I, I'd rewatch this season. It's just a really great story um, that works for for everybody. It's just quality storytelling about wrestling, and that's the best way to go into it. Because a lot of people outside of anime Twitter, that is also extremely wrestling Twitter, there's a lot of people that don't like wrestling, and so they could they could see Glow and be like, "Oh, I don't like wrestling." And if you can just be like, no, give it, give it, give one episode a shot, they would fall in love with it. And that's what's important to be able to introduce people to these new worlds that you would, or they would have an inherent bias against. And Glow does that perfectly. The terrific cast, just like everybody said. Um, I probably would love it a lot more if I wasn't watching Twin Peaks, which is literally changing everything about tv this just feels like it's just a really normal tv show it didn't jump up to like any new levels for me um and that might just be the twin peaks effect this might be one of the better shows of the year otherwise i think maybe i don't know i can't judge anything anymore i just watched it i was like yep that's a tv show and i liked it (laughs) twin peaks broke me um so i think a lot of a lot of people can. If it's a really, TV show and you liked it, that's all that matters. That's all. Exactly, that, that's and, all and really I think need. a lot of people can really get into it. This. Good, mm-hmm. it good. Watch it, folk. And I, I, I do want to reiterate, like, after watching it, take the take the time and actually check out that documentary. Netflix, um, I, like the very first thing when you finish finish the show, like that's the first like suggestions recommended for you. That's how I even knew the documentary existed. It's like an hour and 15 minutes, something like that, and it's really good. You'll see kind of like a lot of like where the ideas for these characters came from and where they're kind of these kind of amalgamations and like it's a it's a good documentary because like as much as it's fictionalized, a lot of it came from reality and it's pretty wild in that sense. Yep. Really good documentary. Uh, I do need to watch that documentary eventually, but I did love the show, uh, between, like, having basically zero bad performances, acting performances, um, 
and having all of these characters that are pretty indelible on you. Um, I don't think anyone could really dislike the show too much. Uh, I don't want to put any words on anyone's mouth, but uh, uh, hopefully there will be a season two. I really like this first season. I'd be surprised if there wasn't, yeah. honestly. The wrestling itself was kind of uh, janky, but like it's as janky as you would expect from people who have been training for you know only a couple months. Yeah, like it's supposed to be janky. Yeah, because Glow was janky. <laughs> Glow yep. was extremely janky. Um, yeah. Well, where can we find you all on the internet, Chris? Uh, I am on the Twitters at GoKufi, and you can also yell at me through the Taiku Podcast Twitter. David. Uh, well, I just got back from my not-quite-podcast retirement hiatus, uh, just restarted the anime podcast of some sort, and Two Nerdy Black Guys, you can find both of those in iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are aggregated, and if you feel so inclined, you can follow me on Twitter at JustCallMeDJM, like a tribe called Quest, you say the whole thing, JustCallMeDJM. Excuse me, hand thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, at Pat's Prime, P-A-T-Z-P-R-I-M-E, on on the Twitter, and you can listen to me talk about uh, robot cartoons on the Cockpit Podcast, which is at thecockpit.net, or at Cockpit Pod on Twitter. Right, now I'm on Twitter, at Impassionate K. Uh, I also do another podcast covering manga, at Manga In Your Ears, on Twitter, yeah. with Hello in April. Um and uh, the podcast is on Twitter at Taiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. We have our website, TaikuPodcast.com, which is also where you can find the manga podcast episodes. And uh, our Tumblr is TaikuPodcast.tumblr.com. Thank you all for coming on the show talking about Glow. Thank you. All right, now hit Dare. Uh, Jesus. Oh, Dare. Under pressure. We'll be playing out to Dare. Get down on me. Cool. Such a good song. Sometimes when your hopes have all been shattered, there's nowhere to turn. You wonder how you keep going. Think of all the things that really matter and the chances you Crazy Rich Asians family tree in front of me. Oh, oh, that's smart. Hold on. Because <laughs> uh. let me tell you about everyone who I still don't know off in this tree. Okay, this is brilliant. Oh, snap. Nice. Nice. Um, that's, that's the Kardashians. Thanks, Internet. <laughs> I don't want they're, that at all. They're like America's... Uh, Crazy Rich, that's right. Crazy Rich, yeah. Oh boy. I'm well aware of how long this episode will be, Chris, and I regret everything. <laughs> I just don't even know what, what came over you. Like, you're going to have like 18 topics. Yep. <laughs>
for well, why don't episode. you split it up into multiple episodes? Well, that's just too logical. I have to have a sports anime in every episode, so this is sports anime. Well, I don't know what else you're talking about, so... Well, if this counts as a sports anime, then everything else people want to say anime is, too. 